Hey, welcome to Coffee and Poets, located at the Naked Lounge Cafe on 11th and 8th Street, every third Sunday at 5 p.m. I'll be your host today. This is The Girl Next Door, and I'm interviewing Kelly Girl. Kelly Girl, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, let's just jump right in. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm ready. I always say without poetry, I'd have open wounds. What would you, where would you be without poetry? Uh in a pine box, I'd be dead, um, probably. Poetry is my life. It's everything. It's how I express how I'm feeling about everything. Everything from my good days to my bad days, happy times, sad times. It's just really how, how I get things out. Let's just break right into a, a piece of your choice. We're going to talk a little bit and have a little bit of poetry and talk about your accomplishments. And, you know, we're just going to make it happen. Cool. Well, um, then I'll do Thank You Poetry. Okay. One of my favorites. Yay. Uh, thank you, Poetry, for finding me. Finding me somewhere between drug-addicted parents and latchkey kid moments. Between black Michael Jackson, white Barbie dolls, boys, new edition, the love boat, Fantasy Island, Double Dutch, Ding Dong Ditch, Skating, and Tag. You hovered over me like a guardian angel waiting for me to notice your presence and, and acknowledge your powers. You found me in my room alone, praying fervently for a way to escape a world I was too young to understand but apparently adult enough to survive in. This world full of promises, albeit empty ones. You found me begging for a way to tell my hopes, dreams, wishes, and fantasies without really having to tell them. Gave me a way to curse my parents for being irresponsible and question my reason for living and safely admit why I didn't feel love like the other kids. You never made me any promises, which means you couldn't break them. I had no reason not to trust you, so I did. My pen was a crayon and I colored my world beautiful. I colored my world cocaine white, tar baby black, bad day gray and solid gold, bloodshed red. It was my life. It was life around me. Honesty, even in fantasy, it was real to me. Sweet poetry. You extended my life beyond 12 years, and I'm thankful for the moment you saw more in me than I did for myself. Tell us about that piece. Man, um, that piece is probably one of the most personal pieces I've ever written because it reveals my childhood. It also kind of dates me because, you know, the love boat is not, it's not on television <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so, right. I mean, it tells you, it gives you a, a look at how, you know, how I was raised and what was around me. And this poem saves me over and over again because it gets me back to my roots. It helps me to remember why I started writing in the first place. Where are you from? L.A., baby. Okay. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. I'm a California girl. Proud, proud graduate of Crenshaw High School. Go Cougars! <laughs> <laughs> um, tell us some of your accomplishments. Um, gosh, as far as poetry is concerned, mm -hmm. man, um, you know this probably better than anybody. Uh, you and I started reading poetry to each other in, in, a, in a living room. Oh, yeah. you were a poet? Me too. I write. Right. You write? Um, and just and, our, and let's, how long has it been? How long have we known each other? It's been like, we've known years? each other for like 15 years. Yeah. Gosh. And, um, like 12 out of those 15 years have been spent doing poetry together. You, you yeah, right. it's been an incredible, you know, it's been an incredible journey and I giggle about it because I remember 
what poem made us start wanting to perform. We right. were looking at, uh, we were, I don't know, we were like looking up stuff Something on the online. internet yeah. <laughs> and came across this, the, like the corniest poem ever. Like it was like the journey to my, the way to, the way my, to my soul. soul is through my hole or something. Yes. And we looked at each the other. The way to my soul is through, through my, my hole. hole. Yes. And we looked yeah. at each other like, okay, now I could do that. We can do this and we could do it much better. Right. And the first time that we ever thought about like venturing out, we went to Capital Garage. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. We went to Capital Garage, and there were like six people in there. We we're like, no, I can't. Not we're not ready. not tonight. Nope. <laughs> six yeah, people. Kyrie was like, he had a he had a uh, he had a sign in sheet. Yeah. Like, you guys, oh no, 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 thank no, you. no really, no, we're good. Yeah, grab your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're out of here. It's too many people, and it was like six people. Yeah. And I guess my greatest accomplishment is. Being able to go from not being able to perform in front of six people mm-hmm. to being able to perform in front of 400 people mm-hmm. and say words that, you know, say things that people can't even say to themselves in the mirror, like masturbate. Like people have a hard right. time with that. And I get up and say it in front of hundreds of people. Strangers. Like, yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm. masturbate. It's good for you. It's healthy. Do it. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, just... Stuff like that. So I, I would just say my greatest poetic accomplishment is just to go from not being able to perform in front of anybody to being able to perform in front of everybody. What's the first writing experience you remember having? Uh, the first writing experience that I remember having was uh, I was 12 mm-hmm. and my dad bought me a parrot and he told me to go get some sunflower seeds. He gave me like $5 and told me to walk to the pet store and go get some sunflower seeds for this parrot. Now, me, I was like, $5? Man, I thought I was rich. Like, $5 in the 80s? Man, I was I was rich. I could buy sunflower seeds, now laters, gum, lemon head. Like, I could really, like, <laughs> get it in with this $5. So instead of going to um, the pet store like I was supposed to, I went to the store across the street I went to like Albertsons or something across the street and I bought like a big pack of like regular salted um, sunflower seeds, gave them to the parrot, girl, the parrot died because it was too much salt, killed the parrot, being disobedient. And my dad, I thought I was going to get in, you know, I thought I was going to whoop it or something. And my dad said, no, what we're going to do is we're going to bury this bird and you're going to give a eulogy for this bird. You're going to write it all down and you're going to apologize to this. He like made it this whole project and that was my punishment. And I went to my room and wrote this whole eulogy to my poor little parrot just about how my disobedience caused him to die. Mm -hmm. And my dad, my father um, also wrote, my dad looked at it and he was like, you're going to be a writer. You're a writer. And I was like, no, uh, okay, I guess. And from that day, I just started writing about everything. But your dad was a prolific writer My himself, dad was right? amazing. I, I will, no matter what I do, I feel like I will never be as great a writer as he was. He could tell a story that would make you feel everything in a sentence. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, when did you begin to think you were pretty good at this? Um, when people started to ask me to perform, I was like, you want mm-hmm. to hear this? Like, for real, for real? Mm-hmm. Okay. I must, you know, I must be doing something right because I felt like 
you know, you work the poetry circuit, you go around and you're just like, oh, I'm just going to open mic, I only mm-hmm. have two pieces. And then you start like not necessarily feeling yourself, but you start to realize that you honestly have a message that's important. Mm-hmm. And then when someone else recognizes that in you and wants you to spread that message, that's when I was like, okay, what I set out to do must be catching fire, must be catching on. People want to hear it. So that's when when, when I finally booked my first um, feature, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Which was where and when? Um, the first actual feature was at Luna's. Mm-hmm. Luna's Cafe and... I was so juiced and nervous. I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able. I'm not going to be able to do this. I sw- and I don't, like, sweat profusely, but I re- I remember having to, like, go in the bathroom and, like, pat myself down. Like, what is going <laughs> on with you today? You're sweating. But it ended up going really well. You were there. Uh, I know I was. <laughs> Um, this is a pretty good one. What is your relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Do you think there's a difference? Yes, because when I'm writing, it's raw, especially mm-hmm. if I'm like writing from a place of anger or disappointment or, you know, or writing erotica. It's raw. So if it's um, if it's like a breakup piece, which normally comes to me in a wave, like my, my writing comes to me in different ways. So when I get on stage and start to speak it, I've lived with it for a while. You know, I've mm-hmm. entertained it for a while. Marinated. So I right, so I can get a flow and here's how, you know, here's how I want to come across. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. channel that energy that I had when I originally wrote it, but I do channel the experience Mm-hmm. So that I can, you know, dwell in that place long enough to get the point across. So that's the difference. Do you think it's hard to revisit some of those emotions? Yes. With, um, certain pieces yeah. that maybe people want to hear and you may not want to have to. I know why you're asking emotions. me this. You are not slick. I was like, just asking a question. <laughs> just brought up a good point. I know why you're asking. <laughs> and yes, um, it is hard to put yourself back in that particular energy bubble. Mm -hmm. It is because right now I am in such a great place. It's hard for me to even write. Like no one, no one could ask me right now to write a breakup piece Mm -hmm. because I am in love. I have no idea what that feels like right now. I'm Mm -hmm. in a completely different space. And so when I go to read something like uh, War After All, I really have to muster up, I have to muster up that feeling again. I have to mm-hmm. conjure that, that, that poetic demon up in order to get, that, get the point of the story across because that's just not where I am. Like right now I can write you all the love pieces in the world. You want erotica? I got you. Mm-hmm. But like breakup pieces and, you know, the angry woman piece, I can't do that right now. I just can't. How do you manage that on stage then? I practice. It's you know, poetry You're a professional. I you am. Got a job to do. Poetry is is <laughs> part writer, part actor. You get on stage and you're just like, all right, right now I'm horny. 
we're doing erotica. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm angry. We're doing breakup poems. I mean, right. you just have to. That's just how you have to be. And then you don't set yourself up to fail. You you choose your set. So you build your set around how you're feeling. And if you, you know, if you have a, a breakup piece that you want to throw in there, you've already planned this ahead of time. Get in that space or don't read that poem. <laughs> what inspires you? Everything. Uh, life inspires me. I can um, I can walk outside. I can pet my cat, pet my dog, talk to you. You know, conversations inspire me. I ear hustle all the time and to, you know, to gain material. I'm, you know, right now I'm inspired by personal experiences. I'm 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 on this high right now, so I'm just writing from a personal place. Well, that, that would bring me into what you have to say about love. Um, love's awesome when it's right, when it's real. Good point. Um, when it comes from a place of sacrifice, because most people don't understand that in order for you to be in love, there's so much of yourself that you have to give away that it, it's not love, it's sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I think most people fall out of love because they forget that the majority of it is giving away, not taking. Mm -hmm. And when you have your partner who understands that too, then you're never losing anything. You're constantly getting and you're constantly giving. It's this infinite existence between you and the person that you're supposed to be with, giving and taking from one another. So your cup is never empty. Good so point. Good point. Yeah, love is, love is amazing. And mine is. It's 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 great. I'm getting married. Congratulations. <laughs> let's um let's hear something you have about love. Oh God. Let's hear you let's hear some of your love stuff. Something about love. One of these days I'm going to wait. First, before I get into this piece, I'm sorry, I probably should have said, uh, back to really quick to what inspires me. This particular piece, I looked over one morning at my fiance and our bed used to be right underneath the window and the sun, he was asleep and the sun was coming down on, on him and he looked so sweet and angelic and loving. And I wrote this piece in my head a dozen times before I put it on paper. Uh, one of these days I'm going to reach up and pull the sun closer to your window because it's only at its best when it's directly on your face. And the moon will tell me what kind you want tonight, and I'll make it just for you. We can lay underneath my creation and make love to order the direction of the stars. We. Yes, we can name and number them all. Just say when. And any star that decides to fall, I'll catch for you. Toss it back up and make whatever wish you made come true. I promise it's possible. And about those mountains that you call obstacles, no problem. No, I won't move them for you. I don't have to. Love makes us giants. Didn't you know that the mountains will crush underneath the weight of it all? If we wait on it all. And then we will stand together. Crush mountains beneath our feet. Last night, stardust in our hair and the sun on our faces. And we will watch the ones who said it was impossible. And we'll laugh as I juggle for you the sun in one hand and the moon in the other, passionately sweat rain and wear the rainbow as a robe after we make love. And to think, you too thought this love was impossible until you looked up one morning and saw the sun. That's one of my favorites. 
I love that piece. Let's have another. I love that piece. Ooh, another love poem. Ooh, perfect. Okay. So my, well, my fiance and I uh, went on, went on our first date and stopped at a place called Wick's Diner and had red velvet cake. And I wrote a piece called Red Velvet about that date. It was sweet. I remember hints of red velvet while he tasted my cake. There were no questions and no protection. My heart was open. That's how he had me, open, in the rain. Discussions of a movie we both watched but never saw. But I guess if you've seen one king's speech, you've seen them all. Elapsing time has us in the now, still living in the fullness of sweet frosting licked from my lover's lips. Yes, we still miss movies for lust. Still wrap each other in blankets of sweat. Yes, even in summer. We are special. Unique in the way we laugh. We still have fun. Still gaze at one another as if we've never seen each other before. And while we recognize there may not always be cake, there will always be sweetness. It's really good. Thanks. Who do you admire? Uh, you, actually. You just I do. No, you know. Come on now. You know good and well. You just saying that. You <laughs> don't stop. <laughs> you know good and well. If I didn't, if if I didn't believe that to be true, um, I sure wouldn't. I wouldn't wait till now to tell you. You <laughs> suck at this. No, um, you be, and I say that because no, I mean, it's been 12 years that you and I have bounced ideas off of it, but 12 plus years that at least we've bounced ideas <laughs> off of each other and, you know, shared this experience. But when I think about, you know, who inspires me or, you know, where I, you know, who do I call when I need, you know, an opinion about my work and, you know, per, per, poetry is really personal. So when I call you up and I say, hey, look at this, I trust you and I trust what you're going to say because I admire what you do and how you do it. And I know your journey. You know mine. There's no other poet in the world I would call up and be like, I need you to take a look at this. Feeling feedbackish? Yeah, right. Is Feeling feedbackish. Yeah. yeah. That's, well, thank you. That's I it. I admire you too. And this is an, a, great for me to interview you. This is awesome. This is so awesome. When Lawrence asked me, I said, yes, I'll interview Kelly. This is great. Uh, what's the best compliment someone could give you? Uh, the best compliment someone could give me, um, that, that my poetry has helped them overcome something. Because that is, um, that's why I do it. I do it first for me to get over whatever I'm going through at the mm -hmm. time or get through it or, you know, express it. And when someone else takes a hold of that and says, this poem made me want to write or this poem inspired me to, you know, leave a bad situation or anything or get involved with another, you know, in another relationship, I'm really touched by that because, you know, words are really powerful. Mm -hmm. And when your words cause action that's great so when someone says that they've been changed i'm really touched i'm i'm happy how do you begin a poem writing it mm -hmm. oh man it 
it begins in my head. I it begins in my head. Sometimes like it's a the, dream. The whole, like some people say, they already see the whole poem in their head, or they see pieces, or it comes over a matter of time. Like what, it's never a poem. Begin? It's never a poem. It's always like a, a journal entry. Mm. So I, you know, I journal and then I go back and read it, and I'm like, oh, okay. It's kind of like math. Oh, this sentence plus this sentence plus this sentence is a paragraph. Ha! And then it just goes from there. I start picking apart my journal entries. And oh, it see, just. I never knew that. Yeah, and it just becomes a poem after that, somewhere, you know, somewhere in between trying to, you know, verbally vomit on pages. It just becomes one little segment. What's your measure of success as a poet? Is it from what you just said, if someone says that they've been changed by you, or are there other things that make you know that you're successful? Well, that's a good question. The only person I measure myself against in poetry is myself. So if I'm writing better now than I did when I started, that's success. And I look back, like I told you, you know, before, I look back at the stuff that I wrote when you and I first started doing this, and I look back at it and go, what 11-year-old child <laughs> wrote this piece? Like, I've grown, I mean, through experiences, you grow. And if you don't, then you should probably stop doing that. Um, yeah, I look, I look back at those simple, no metaphors. <laughs> Like the one-liners? Yeah, I look back at those, and I look at what I write now, and I'm so proud of myself. I'm so proud that I'm not as hidden from myself Mm. as Mm -hmm. I was. I reveal so much more of myself to myself and to whoever's listening because when I first started writing, I couldn't tell at all. I'm like, that is my business. I Mm -hmm. can't just... I can't get out there and tell people my business. What? No. Do you think poets need to be transparent? I think poets need to get naked on stage. Either that or maybe you should just keep writing at home. There's, you know. Because you can tell when they're not. You you can can tell tell. when someone is not connected Mm -hmm. to their work. You can tell when they're writing about other people's experiences. We've talked talked about that. Yeah, we talked about this. We're going to. Come to that in and, a little bit too, but and, yeah. And I'm sure that there's someone somewhere who's going to hear this and say that I'm overly critical, but maybe I'm just openly honest about what I want to hear when I go mm-hmm. and listen to poetry. I want to hear the truth. What is the point of standing up and lying to me for uh, your entire set? You don't have sex. It doesn't even sound like you've ever, you're a virgin <laughs> because you got up there and said pussy like, you don't have one. You can't. Or you don't get any. Or you, or you're not getting any. Well, the truth, <laughs> hey, the, tr- the truth is what it is. I mean, we talked about that exactly. Or you mm-hmm. get up there and you talk about breaking up. You've never had a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You watch a lot of TV, is mm-hmm. what you do. Like, I just feel like whatever you're writing about, you need to be connected to. And that's not to say that you have to necessarily experience it on a level that I've experienced it, but at least have a first kiss before you, you know, write about it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, write about what what you imagine a first kiss to be like. 
don't try to convince me that you've kissed somebody in this poem when I know good and you well mm-hmm. you just been at home macking the pillow to death. That's <laughs> <laughs> the truth. Um, how has your pain impacted your poetry? Wow. Um, my pain has impacted my poetry just because I, I mean, I don't write from a painful place anymore. Um, I used, used to. to. I used to because I was in a very painful relationship. Mm-hmm. So all of my poetry was pain at one point. And, it, you know, just writing about how I felt about myself and it would come across, it would come across like I would try to write happy poetry, but it would always end like end up right. It would always end up with some painful innuendos like, God, this girl is struggling. I mean, so I just gave into it and just started writing about pain until I was over that. And it, I think my pain has to answer your question it just has allowed me to be a a vast, uh, just an open, open writer. My pain has allowed me to be open because when you can expose the ugly, the mm-hmm. ugly in yourself, then it's no problem for you to expose the joy mm-hmm. at all, which is probably why it's so easy for me to get up and talk about, I mean, you know, be an erotic poet, I guess, because I've written about the bowels of quote unquote love. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I've written about the ugly of being in a horrible relationship. So when it comes to writing about the goodness and the fullness of love, I can do it no problem. When it comes to writing about any other experience, I can do it. And it's all because I started out writing these ugly, ugly pieces. And I think hearing about pain and writing about pain is very healing. Yeah. Definitely. I've I've heard some poets talk about some painful things and there've been like like one line in there that's that has just stuck with me through the whole thing. So, I I agree with you. There and you, there you share with us some I will. Um you I have will. some good pain poems. I mean, I didn't want you to be in a painful relationship, but you got some good stuff out of that. I just I, <laughs> Nobody ever wants to be in the favorites in there, but you got some good stuff. Truth. Truth told like promises made while lovemaking. I love you. It's yours. Truth struck several blows across her face in the name of the same love that brought them together. Lips stained in a color that Revlon, Mac, and Maybelline don't carry. More expensive than all three can measure. What's the price of life? Well... He never asked, and she doesn't care enough to do a price comparison of his life to hers. Where was that book on self-preservation when she needed it? Truth. Seen by neighbors who peek through windows and dim lights when it gets just a little too loud over there. Or being neighborly just by minding their own damn business. Flicking your porch lights off and on ain't gonna save nobody. Your maybe it's just the TV attitude just may kill somebody accessory is watching a murder in progress just as bad as committing one. Message. Truth. Told like scriptures in the Bible, behold the Lamb of God which comes to take away the sin of the world will take him, Lord, or give me the strength to. Truth. 
believable like bedtime stories we were told as children where the dragon is always slayed, the good guys always win, and the princess is always saved, and I can hear her begging, Mommy, tell me a story. Truth. Like a virgin touched for the very first time, her ribs for the 21st time were touched and covered in sauce. Ma'am, can you tell me how you fell? Well, how many times can you have that same conversation before you get tired? See, what happened was truth. The grass and mud are still on my heels, even though I can no longer see it. And I never made it through my solo. I still sing it in my head. They wanted a closed casket, but I insisted that they make an example out of you. Truth. The actual state of a matter, a verified indisputable fact, honesty, integrity, accuracy. Well, honestly, he beat her and she's dead now. So I beg you, lie to me. That's heavy. That's a heavy piece. It is. And... I I just, I can feel that poem. I feel it every time I read it. I feel it. And it drives me crazy to know that it's, it happens. It's happening right now. Mm-hmm. While we're doing this interview, some woman is being beaten. And it, it disturbs me that this is the reaction that, you know, that there are men out there and women who are just beating on each other. It drives me crazy. And that piece came from um, me experiencing that through a girlfriend of mine um, whose, you know, boyfriend literally beat her to death. And I was at the time in an abusive relationship myself. And we would talk about these experiences and, I was just like, well, I have to get out of this relationship. It's not working. And you just muster up the strength to to do it. And unfortunately, some people are not strong enough to muster up the, the strength to do it. They don't have the courage to do that. Every time I read it, it bugs me. I, I love see, it. See, that's that's the joy of poetry. Yeah, that somebody's going to hear that, right? And that and might give them the push they need. Exactly, to make a different decision. which is which is why I will never stop reading that poem Mm -hmm. because I get healed again when Mm -hmm. I read it. Somebody else will get healed or, or at least start thinking about a way to deal with it. That was how I dealt with those experiences. And do you ever get tired of reading your own work? No, no. There are some pieces that I might get tired of reading, but this is how I cleanse my, my spirit. This is how I get clean. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how I wash off the dirt of work and the attitude that I may have. Um, and some of them, you know, this is how I get clean. And if, you know, if somebody, even if I sit and read them to myself or replay them I in my head. Too. Oh, me too. <laughs> because it's therapy. Like when I can't, you know, when I can't talk about stuff. You can heal yourself. I can heal myself. I, this is what it's been about from the beginning, it's never been about anything other than healing myself. And that's probably really selfish. No, but I, I said don't that, care. I said that too, <laughs> that myself, it, it, that poetry comes from a selfish place first. It does. For me. For yeah, me, same I write for me. If you like it, great. Awesome. If not, sucks for you. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's not about you. <laughs> you shared something else with us? Uh, sure. 
comes the dawn. Comes the dawn and she's still glowing. Glowing from the ceremony, glowing from the bridegroom's kiss, glowing from the reception, glowing, but not knowing. Not knowing that the moment he leaves to get ice, he's making phone calls to the girl he met in the lobby when they checked in. Not knowing that she's kissing the residue of the other woman's lip gloss. Not knowing, not knowing, but still glowing. And then comes the dawn. Comes the dawn and she rolls over, kisses him good morning, makes him breakfast, sends him off to work, and she's beaming. She's beaming and he's scheming. Scheming to meet up with a girl he met at the gym, see if he can get a little trim. It's not that he isn't getting it at home, just his voracious appetite selfishly getting the better of him. Now wifey's calling. Calling to see if he'll be late again and see if she should keep dinner warm for him when he comes home, bearing the scent of another woman's skin. He won't come home, but he will call, say that he got drunk at the bar, pulled over, and fell asleep in his car all night. All night. And they'll fight. And they'll fight. Fight until blood fills the air, until she's washing glass fragments out of her hair from the window he shoved her into. Fight until her knuckle, knuckles are scraped, bones are broken, and fingers are taped. No, officer, it wasn't rape. Sometimes we role play. And then comes the dawn. Comes the dawn and he's bearing gifts, making up, kissing busted lips, and now he's smiling. He's smiling. Smiling as he redirects phone bills, credit card receipts, and lies. Smiling while he hides porn, massage bills, and homemade sex tapes of his lovers. Smiling as he enters her as if he loves her, injecting her with the same poison that is secretly killing him. And then comes the dawn. Comes the dawn and she realizes she isn't the only one. Realizes that although she's done everything required of her, met every need and fulfilled every tasteless fantasy, she's not enough. She realizes he's toxic and hazardous. Three blood tests later, she's positive that she's not positive and she's happy. And then comes the dawn. Comes the dawn and they're dressed to the nines. She's in her little black dress. He's wearing his favorite red tie and they're close. So close. The car pulls up, but he doesn't get the door. She figures, it's cool, I'll let it slide once more. She's way too happy to be deterred. And they ride. They ride until they reach their destination. To him, it's no big deal, but for her, a vacation. And she's basking. They arrive, and she said, this is all for you. The flowers, the friends, your whole family. I asked the same man that married us to perform your eulogy. I hope you like it. Because I like it. Yeah, she liked it. That's deep. Yeah, it just, it goes there. And I'm Quickly. a, it really does. And I'm a visual poet. I see everything I read. So even when I'm reading it, I can see the casket. I can mm -hmm. see the car ride. I can see the red Fragments tie. And yeah, I can see all of that. Sometimes it's really hard. Like when I first wrote that piece, and the first time I performed it, I don't know that I even managed to make it through the whole thing. It was, you know, it was that ugly for me. You know, I know. Yeah, yeah. it was that ugly for me. I couldn't, I was like, this is hard, but it's necessary. And if your, you know, if your poetry isn't challenging you to do what's necessary, then you need to do something else. It's our job to, to make people uncomfortable. It's our job, yourself. yeah, to make our 
first ourselves. If you're writing stuff that that you're just and you're comfortable with that, you everything you do to benefit yourself and others should make you a little bit uncomfortable. You should be nervous because you may change the entire world. You're a poet. You're an artist. What you do is supposed to speak to everybody. Yourself first and then heal everybody. Otherwise, it's pointless. Good point. Um, <clears throat> I've heard you say that you're a poet's poet. What does that mean? What? <laughs> I hate you so much right now. <laughs> April's bringing up very private conversations. Thank you. Um, a poet's poet. I mean, I, I'm the type of poet that you want to hear. You, and I mean you, April, want to hear. I, I write to try and help other poets write more. I want you to think. I want you to come up to me afterwards and ask why I did it, why I said it. Um, and, and that's been happening. That, I mean, you, you and I both know if for no other reason than to have conversation, we'll write thought-provoking things for one another. And we'll call each other up and go, girl, that one line. And weeks later, we'll be like, remember that one line you Years wrote that later. one time? Years later. I sift through some of the books, I mean, some of the books, some of the poems in your book. And I'm just like, I had to call her and go, do you remember when we wrote this? Do you remember why? Do you remember? Do you remember? Um, so that's what I mean when I say that. I just mean that I could sit in a room full of poets and collect energy and ideas and we could go back and forth. We used to do it all the time. Just sit around and after poetry was over, just go sit and eat and and work, do more poems and, you know, share ideas and energy and, you know, share experiences. That's that's how you become better at what you do. Well, I definitely want to talk about some erotica with you. I don't want the time to go past without um, digging into that. Um, you're partly known for your erotica. What do you have to say about that genre of poetry? I think, um, first of all, I think I'm going to stop calling myself an erotic poet because it, that name is burnt. Like, <laughs> I get so irritated now. Like, it's so burnt. Erotic poetry. Well, explain what you mean by that. Burnt. Like, everybody who says dick on the mic is now an erotic poet and is burnt. I'm so over it. We have a, you and I wrote a piece you know, specifically about how burnt it is to be yeah. called that. And I know I'm sorry in advance or no, you know what? No, no I'm, I'm not. not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not. That's just how I feel about it. I look at it now as, and you and I've talked about it. It's kind of like hooker versus stripper. I'm not a hooker. I don't hoe poem. I undress slowly. I'm Seduce. seductive mm -hmm. because I'm a grown up. I don't have to take all my, hey, I'm naked. No. <laughs> it's, you get a, you know, you, I roll down get my stockings. Leg. I'll, you know, shoulder. put my shoulder and take it on back. You know, I just, I'm not going to, I'm not hoeing out my poems. These aren't, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not a hoe poet, period. It's just not, it's, I don't, it's just not what I do. So I think from now on, I'll be called a seductive poet because seduction and erotica are two com completely different things. It's the difference between the Skinamax 
and porn sites. There you go. I'm Cinemax. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so are you getting ready to do I Do This? I am going to do I Do This. And um, do you want to talk about how that came about? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, You know. We we were, well, we know. We know. know. Nobody else got to know. Um, You and I were talking about just this, you know, what's, Mm -hmm. What is erotica and just about how it's being done? Just because we're talking about sex, it doesn't have to be tasteless. You know, we don't have to get up on the mic and... And is that what you think you're starting to see? It really is. It just has turned into a raunch fest. And for some people, that's cool, but not necessarily something that I want to be tied to. Um... The older I get and the more mature my work gets, and mm-hmm. when I say the older I get, I mean the older in poetry. Mm-hmm. The older I get in poetry or as a poet, I'm evolutionary, not necessarily revolutionary. I mean, I do get a little power to the people, but I'm, I'm evolutionary. I always want to be changing. It's time to transition, and I'll leave that to the younger people. I'll leave that because... That's what their music is about now. Right. My music was not about that. Right. Like, I I was singing some, ring my bells. Okay. Do you know I just, not too long ago, figured out what she was talking about? (laughs) Seriously? (laughs) You can ring my bells. Oh, 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 the bell. Not a bell. Oh, I get it. Okay. So, I mean, this is their genre now. Erotica belongs to the young people because I'm... Too grown. I won't say too old, but I am too grown to do to do erotica the way that it's being done currently. Mm-hmm. I cannot and will not do it. It's just not. No, I'm seductive. I do seductive poetry. I'm on the mic and I'm going to seduce you. I'm going to make you wish you were coming home with me. And no, you're not. Sorry. That That's what it's about. It's not about you know, screwing on stage that it just isn't. So when I see it happening now, the way that it is, I'm just like, this is just like your music. I get it. And we have never written a piece together. No. And we talked about it. And I did uh, my piece at my interview with Lawrence. And I said, when you came, you would do, I would do mine, do your, uh, your half. I do this. I help blaze this literary trail and free you of your inhibitions and judgments so you can masturbate and procreate without guilt. We were doing this before it was popular, before sweet spots and erotic slams, before you could properly identify your own G-spot. We were here and there, popping cherries three and four times a week. I gave you the push to unlock the door where grown, safe, and mature sexual expression awaits. Now you're free to say these dirty words out loud on the mic, and in his ear with confidence. I can't help I make seduction look easy. I blur the lines of fantasy and reality while piquing your curiosity with the proper placement of participle statements, suggestions, expressions, and lexicon. You see, erotica is not about yelling keywords like fuck me, suck my dick, or make me come. Anybody can say that shit. Hell, most people can make a dick hard or a pussy wet with minimal effort, but can you fuck my brain? before you fuck my brains out. Can you make me shift, slightly open my legs, blush in embarrassment, and slip you my number after? 
Make me a believer. Make me want to revive an old romance. If you say you eat pussy the way you claim in your piece, then the phrase eat pussy should sound familiar, not like it's the first time it came across your lips. Can you convince me you're the expert and I'm the one in need of lessons? Well, I can. I can make you question your preferences, push your boundaries, and try something new. Have you hoping this will hurt just a little bit? I can make you surrender those hands for cuffs without even realizing it. I can make you hover between I can't take it and give me more. I got you salivating on that next word to slip from my lips, and that next word might be something raunchy like pussy. But I can say it in a way that makes you lean forward, shush your neighbor, and ignore your phone. I have this way of commanding your full attention, and your body has no choice but to fall in line. My words penetrate the dark places you thought I had no access to, and I do this without lifting one finger. I do this. I bait your breath, feed you these lines and cast out those sexual demons when you were just a babe to the verse, when you thought being blessed with this gift was a curse, I was there, forcing you to hold a mirror to the midnight places and let the mysteries unfold. I gave you permission to be bold. Let's explore what this shit is really about. It takes more than the mere utterance of pussy dick ass click. Come and sweat to make me wet. I need seduction. Tease me. Make me beg for you. Lust after you. Shift and adjust just for you. Change my thought pattern. Make me contemplate my relationship status and entertain the thought of leaving with you tonight because my words will fuck you the right way. That's right. I do this like an adult, like someone who has seduced and been seduced, someone who has sucked and been sucked, licked and been licked over and over again. I am a surgeon with this pen. I will make you bend, arch, moan, evaluate, and forget who you came with. My words will make you come with me and enter you like honeymoon sex. This ain't no amateur hour, erotica, baby, because we, she and I really do this and you're welcome yeah <laughs> i like that piece we like that we like that we, we're giving high fives to ourselves <laughs> because i mean that's the piece i want everybody to hear like and i've never written a piece with anybody nor that's have i this piece is this i've is ever it. done together right i mean and it that that totally defines my stance on erotica versus seductive poetry mm -hmm. honestly because you can't you know it's I, I remember telling somebody that it is the difference between a quickie with a stranger and some long played out slow love put on some teddy pendergrass with the person you're in love with sex that's that's what i do i don't do quickies with strangers i you know it's just not not my thing. Is there a line <laughs> from a poem um, from yourself or anyone else that still haunts you? Ooh, um, yeah. Well, why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yes. You have more than one, just like certain lines that just resonate with you. Love can either set you free or hold your ass hostage. That is... That's me, folks. I have written from that place so many times and only you came and 
like smacked a line on it because it's the truth. And that's where I begin and end with love. And my, being that I'm a love poet or whatever, like when I write from that place, I'm thinking, yeah, at some point love has set me totally free and it's also held me captive. I've been a hostage to love before. So that's that's the one line. Um, <clears throat> what are you reading now? Um, Book-wise? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Nothing, nothing special. I'm reading some crazy book about uh, the, this lady who's a shopaholic. Nothing. Just okay. <laughs> <laughs> nothing all poetic or profound. Just, just reading light, light books. What's the best advice you've ever received? Be yourself. Be yourself. Because like it or not, you're all you've got. So, I mean, in this world, when you go to bed at night, whether you're laying next to somebody or not, you're with your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. Those are your own dreams. Your ambitions are just your own. So be yourself. That was that that's the best advice that I've ever been given. And I know it sounds kind of cliche, but when you are honest with you and open with yourself you can write from such a free place. There's nothing that you can get up on. There's nothing that you're not able to say on stage when you are being yourself. Right, I agree. Um, before we conclude, um, where can we find you online, in person, or your next performance? Where where can people go if they want to find out more about Kelly Girl? Uh, you want to find out more about me? Uh, that's too bad, because I'm nowhere. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I am... You can find me on Facebook under Kelly Freeman. Now, I am not saying that I will add you, but you can definitely find me there because I am real selective. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's where no, I am. Uh, did you say no, you're not? <laughs> um, I don't have any shows coming up. We just did um, a big show at Laughs Unlimited. Uh, but that's where I am. And you can find me at open mics. Um, this Wednesday I will be at mahogany and I will probably do open mic there. I still do like to get out and do open mics. Um, I like to, I mean, I'm a big person of supporting local businesses. You can find me downtown walking around, poking my head in shops all the time. What, um, what pieces do you want to leave us with your last two pieces? Um, last two pieces. I think, um, since we've talked about love and, you know, seduction and erotica and all that, um, I do, I do want to read a breakup piece because that's a reality. People break up. Um, so I'm going to do, I'm going to do a breakup piece, um, called Dear Future Ex-Boyfriend, which people get a kick out of, um, and you especially because you know where this piece came from. <laughs> And <laughs> so, yeah, it is one of my favorites. Mine, too, actually. As far as breakup poems go, this piece is dope. Um, Dear future ex-boyfriend, by the time you finish this poem, we'll be broken up because, duh, this is a breakup poem. Not to be confused <laughs> with a cry for attention or a ploy to get you to buy me a dozen roses that I will probably pay for. You see, I've grown tired of your recycled lines and regurgitated phrases, the heartfelt words from your lying lips. It's time to bring the lamb to slaughter. This may sting a bit. You'll hurt. You may even scream, and I'm okay with that. 
In fact, I like it that way. So hold still while I cut you off. You see, I've been going through separation anxiety for way too long, emotionally bankrupt from your costly withdrawals and your deposits always coming up just a little too short. You're making me sick. I throw up. My hands, that is. Every time you enter the room or my thoughts, you invade my creative space, hinder my good habits, and make me bitchy. You force me to be someone I don't even recognize. I mean, I can't even enjoy the game because you don't like sports, and Lord knows I love my cowboys. So I have to be who you want while you fail miserably to be what I need. I'm finally done. So please, without further ado, beat it. Scram, get lost, flee, pack up, and go back home to your mama because, frankly, I am tired of doing her damn job. It's all the work, no pay and no benefits. My back hurts. Not from great sex, but from carrying the weight of this lackluster relationship. Did I say lackluster? Because I really meant shitty. Inconsistent, miserable, and fake. It was never Beyonce and Jay-Z the way you said it was, would be. It was more like me working 10-hour days and you not working at all. Coming home to a TV hot to the touch but an oven that wasn't. Mm. So if you don't mind, never think of, call, text, Right or dream of me again. I don't want a phone call months from now with Mary J's reminisce playing in the background and you talking about how you regret us parting, how much you love me and long for a touch that used to belong to only you. See, I'm already over it and I've planned my response. It sounds like kiss my ass, <laughs> click. <laughs> to think you had me convinced that we were eternal making plans to be a part of something that was bigger than this world you said we were a team see I should have known then how can anyone who doesn't even like sports know how a team works wow. I don't blame you though I blame myself for blinking too long long enough to miss the real you the one you kept hidden in text messages and late night phone calls and in plots worse than the government's. I blame my own unsharpened eyes, but I won't be too hard on myself, though. Fool's gold is always hard to tell from the real thing. And I couldn't pawn you off on an enemy because I don't dislike anyone that much. So I'm freeing you up to be with the only person I do dislike yourself. Take some time to find yourself and become a man or a woman because God knows you act like one. Sincerely, your ex. You're hecka weak. <laughs> Very weak right now. There's so many prolific lines in there. You just, just, just punches. Just right. punch, punch, punch. Right. Wow. Oh, they're straight jabs. I'm yeah. trying to, I'm uppercut. Right. And, yeah. Those those are good. Yeah, those are, yeah. And again, I see it. I see the whole thing. So I know exactly, mm -hmm. I know exactly what Sometimes I'm talking about. Sometimes it makes about. you feel good to see that it you're really, not in that place anymore. Right. And it, it's so funny now to go back and read it. And I'd giggle because I'm on the polar opposite of that right now. I'm on the polar opposite. And you can read it and be detached. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'll leave you with uh, War After All which was um, a really good piece. It was a personal, personal piece, and I wrote it in five minutes. This is probably the fastest piece I've ever written. I wrote okay. it in five minutes. I remember when we were cool. The days always went by too quickly, and the nights were always hotter than any summer day could ever be. We were the epitome of all things passionate, and I couldn't see anything other than you and my world to the point where even when I looked in the mirror, 
It was your reflection instead of my own. That's how close we were. That's what you meant to me. When we were apart, we longed to fill the miles with high school-length phone calls that always ended with someone waking up, phone in hand the next morning. No, you hang up. No, no, you hang up. And when the clock finally showed us favor and we were in each other's arms again, it was like a well-put-together fantasy, running to each other desperately from across the room, ignoring baggage claim and all those public service announcements about unattended items. We let love consume us and we enveloped each other. It was just like a movie. Then someone must have yelled cut because the curtain came down. In an instant, we were distant and there were no more confessions of love. It became a situation. We used to talk every day, and now I'm not sure if we're friends. I used to ask myself what I could have done to hold on a little longer. But you can't really hold on to someone intent on slipping away. I asked myself how I could have been better instead of asking why you weren't. I never listened to your subtle hints of remaining the same. It was a rebel in me, I suppose. I shunned that boyish chant about you being single forever. I thought you were too much of a man for that. I think on it now, and I'm in amazement of all the trampled hearts you must have left under your feet. Tear stains on the soles of your shoes and scratch marks on your coat from clingy women. Well, you must have shined your shoes and had your coat clean by the time we met because I never saw it coming. You stopped me dead in my tracks, slapped a chain around my neck and told me with tears in your eyes, I love you, don't go. And I didn't go. I stayed, laid, and played with you until the sun set on the beach view, but little did I know that that chain would bind me to you but not work in reverse and I paid for it in poems just like this one, in songs that we made love to and in phone calls that made no sense at all, all of me remembers all of you because some things just don't go away. But the pictures are all put away now and the chain is displayed in a jewelry case like the medal a war vet receives. So I guess, in a way, I was a soldier for you which would have made our relationship a war and not love at all, which would explain why I have the bitter taste of shrapnel in my mouth and the grenade-shaped hole that you left in my heart but don't cry for me though. They send the wounded home to the loved ones to be honored, loved, and appreciated. And that's where I am. I'm home, being loved, honored, and appreciated for who I truly am. We're going to leave you with that. I remember the first time I heard that. It still feels like the first time. We're going to leave you with that. Um, thank you for tuning in uh, to Coffee and Poets, located at the Naked Lounge Cafe on 11th and 8th Street. And enjoy us the following month on the third Sunday at 5 p.m. And I am your host, The Girl Next Door. And thank you, Kelly Girl, for of your time course. today. Thank and you. Sharing all of your work with us. This has been great. It's been awesome. I appreciate it.